0: Welcome to the Kingdom Life Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Jamie Dixon. For more great content, visit klcmaine.com. All right, you guys ready? We're going to jump into something. I, I, um, I'm I, going to warn you uh, before I get started, not to put like a damper on it, but um, I, I, I'm I, going to try to take on something huge um, this morning. I feel like it's huge. I feel like it's so vital and significant. It's somewhat aggressive. It's somewhat tense. I'll, I'll try to keep it lighthearted and make you laugh through it, and we'll, we'll be okay. Is that all right? But here, here, here's my um, uh, at the end of at the end of it in the nine. I was just closing my eyes. I'm I'm sorry if I upset you. So if I do that again, I'm just just know that I love you. Um, but the the reason why I say all that because is because. Listen, my heart and my passion as a teacher of the word and as a pastor is that every believer would walk in the fullness of what Jesus purchased for them. I want to see every believer walking in the fullness of what Jesus paid an incredible price for us to walk in. The incredible liberty and joy and peace through all seasons of life that Jesus' blood and the gift of the Holy Spirit purchased for you and I. I want to see every believer walking in the power and the splendor of partnership with the Holy Spirit. Immovable peace, outrageous joy, hope-filled belief. I want it to rule over every household and every marriage. I want to see every believer walking in what Jesus paid, the ultimate price for us to walk in. And uh, and, and with with that said, you know, I, how many of you know that your beliefs create your thoughts and your thoughts create our emotions and our emotions establish our will? And what I mean is, is that our, our whole world is full of differences of opinions and different ideas, and different responses, and different emotions, different feelings about different events, and we're all so eclectic. But what that really means is that our thoughts are so separate, and are so different, because our beliefs are so different and separate. And our belief about the world, and our belief is actually really, what it comes down to is, is that it's, it's actually everyone's belief about God changes their belief about the world, and and you can go right down to atheist and agnostic and you know in all the different variations of Christianity the 40,000 different denominations of Christianity you that was a real number 40,000 denominations of Christianity you can go through all of those and you can find such a a different perspective because a different belief and different beliefs shape different thoughts and we look at the world through a different lens and we uh, and because of that, these different thoughts, these different ideas, they lead to different responses emotionally, because you can't have an emotion without a thought that arouses an emotion. And so we all have different emotions, and in the same moment, people can experience joy and sadness, and it really is rooted in the different thought. This is why the scriptures even say, when someone dies, we, will, we, do, not, um, we do not mourn like the world does, but we mourn in hope. Why? Because my belief concerning the surety of salvation has given me a different response to death. Does this make sense? And so our, our, our beliefs shape our thoughts, our thoughts shape our uh, emotions and our emotions establish our will. And the reality is, is that our will to do something, our drive, our passion, our, uh, our, uh, uh, our faithfulness to do something will be established by the will of a man to do that thing. And you can't have a will without the emotion behind. We are just, God made us to be emotional people. We will ultimately have all these wonderful ideas and things that we wanna do, but we won't do a blessed thing if we don't have the emotional like, will to do it. Does that make sense? And, and so I, I say all that to say, and I, and I know that was a lot, but I, I sound like a self-help preacher right now, but we're getting somewhere is that our so our beliefs create our thoughts, our thoughts create our emotions, our emotions create our will. To walk in the fullness of what God has purchased for you, you have to know who you are. And the only way to know who you are is to know who God is. I think a majority of people discover who they are and then ask God to approve of it. I think a lot of people like determine their identity and go, all right, God, this is who I am. Love me or hate me, here I am. The reality is, is that creation can't determine your identity. Only the creator can determine your identity. And so the only way that you can know who you are is to actually know who you are in him. And the only way for you to know who you are in him is to actually know him. Is this making sense? And and so... Uh, so so our belief about who God is will set the trajectory of our understanding of who we are. And if that is out of alignment, how many of you guys know we will have a dysfunctional relationship with God and a dysfunctional relationship about our identity and existence in the world around us? And we will not access what God has purchased for us because we don't see him rightly. And if I can't see him rightly, then I don't know who I am in regards to him. I think I think anybody any mass singer fans? wow it's okay thank you that was awesome um for those in the live stream someone very exuberantly responded to that question um i think it's funny when a pastor asks like the church do you watch this show everyone's silent like you about to like judge me if i do like no i don't watch tv i busted them all and i pray and read every day do you got any any mass singer, singer fans? I don't get the phenomena, but it's a thing. My children love it. I think a lot of Christians have been playing mass singer with God. And what I mean by that is that they're trying to figure out who's behind the veil. Who, who, who's the voice behind the distortion I hear? Who, there's a bunch of clues. I'm looking to the world around me and I'm like, well, I think God's in that. And I think God's in this. I think he's in this. So I'm gonna try to determine. I've, I've, I've assessed the world around me and I've assessed the situations and, I, and it's really blurry and I'm not sure what I believe. So I'm going to try to pick up on all the clues and I'm gonna determine who you are through a veil. I'm gonna make some guesses. We create this very veiled idea of who God is. But how many of you know Jesus came to unveil the full revelation of the Father? There is no mystery in who he is. That we are out of the era of mystery. That we are in the era now of 2020 vision, clarity. I know who he is. I know the Father's heart. And I, I'm not looking through a veil. 2 Corinthians 3.16 And now the veil is taken away in Jesus. And I am beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. And I am being transformed the same glory that I'm looking at. And we have been called. This is why uh, uh, our identity can't be found in our own discoveries. They have to be found in the Lord. Because, uh, because when we see him, his glory is impressed upon our identity. And we, we we take on the very attributes of the one that we're looking a, a, upon, and then we become reflections of His glory. <clears throat> I'll, I'll, go with me to, to Colossians chapter two. We're gonna we're just gonna be here, okay? Um, and I wanna I wanna get in this morning to all of that prefacing I just gave. Make sure we're on the same page is about going after something that I I really believe is robbing the church of their identity. And the way that the enemy robs our identity is by sowing a lie into our beliefs. If you sow a a lie into a belief, a belief will create a thought. That thought is immediately, because of its origin, is out of alignment with the heart of the Lord for your life. And that thought will create an emotion, and that emotion will create a will. And all of a sudden, our lives are not in alignment because we sowed a lie into the belief concerning God's nature. Is that all right? Okay. Look at Colossians chapter 2. Guys, we're going to do something. We're going to read 17 verses. (sighs) I know we're a spirit-filled church. We don't. One verse at a time, Jamie. Chill out. All right, you guys ready? Can you guys buckle up? I'll make it animated because I'm charismatic. I'll I'll give hand motions. I'll I'll elevate my voice. Are we okay? All right, 2 Corinthians 2, verse 6. What did I say? Yep, Colossians. I said that. Don't try to confuse me. Colossians chapter 2, verse 6. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Everyone say, in him, not with him. Not with him, in him. Rooted and built up in him, established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Beware, everyone say, beware. I'm going to keep you engaged, all right? Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the traditions of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. You should get out a pen, you should, you should underline, circle, star, exclamation point these verses. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. All the fullness of God. The one who breathed life into dirt and man was created. The Holy Spirit, the Father, and the Son, all together, three in one, is all represented in the fullness of the glory of God in Jesus alone. And he says, and in him is the fullness of the Godhead. And you are complete in him. Oh, that should get a bigger response. And you are complete in him. Let's go. Who is the head of all the principality and power? Listen to the in him language. In him, you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of your sins of the flesh. Uh, by the circumcision of Christ, that he was circumcised for you, buried with him. You were buried with him in baptism, which you also, you were also raised with him in faith uh, in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made you alive together with him, having forgiven you of all your trespasses. You are forgiven. He has wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against you. Which was contrary to you, it was not good for you, it was bad, it was against you. it was against your life, and he's wiped it away. And he's taken it out of the way, and he nailed it to the cross. And he disarmed principalities and powers, having uh, made a public spectacle of them triumphing over them in it. Do you guys realize it's like it's this like legal language saying, "Tim is innocent." Make it known throughout all the land that all the principalities, all the kings, and all the authorities that ever felt like you had a legal right to ever come after him again. Make it known, a decree, boom, on the cross. Memo to the entire world, the king's decree. Tim is innocent in any authority that you ever had, any legal access to his life you ever had has been broken now. You can never come for him again. So let no one so powerful, let no one judge you in food or drink regarding a festival, a new moon, a Sabbath, which are a shadow of the things to come. But the substances of Christ, let no one cheat you of your reward taking delight in false humility and the worship of angels, intruding into things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up by their fleshly mind and not holding fast to the head, from whom all the body nourishing it together by joints and ligaments grows with the increase that only comes from God. Therefore, with all of that said, all of these incredible accomplishments of Christ and what it means about your life, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, then why, as though living in the world, you continue to subject yourselves to its regulations? Do not, this is is, is very sarcastic. This is Paul going, do not taste, do not touch, do not handle. He's mocking the world. Do not taste, do not touch, do not handle. Which all concern the things that perish with using, according to the commandments and doctrines of men. These things, they have an appearance of wisdom. In self-imposed religion, false humility, the neglect of the body, but are of no value regarding the indulgences of the flesh. Listen, I wanna, I wanna talk about something just so significant and important, and that's us coming out of agreement with the poverty mentality. The poverty mentality. Go. What is that, Jamie? When I say poverty, what do we all think of? money right we think finances and i've only ever heard poverty ever attached to finances but i what i want to tell you is that poverty has nothing to do with finances and has everything to do with belief poverty is not your economic situation poverty is a is a lie of a, a, a lie of belief that comes of a demonic origin to cause you to believe that you are perpetually in a state of lack, that you live from a deficit. And it is a lie. It is actually the lie behind every dysfunctional part of your life that continues to not be arrested under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. It is the singular lie. Well, how is that so, Jamie? You don't know the lie. I do know the lie. It started in the garden where a snake appeared in a tree and he looked at Adam and Eve and he said, hey, and eat what the lord told you not to eat well lord said no god only said no because he believes that if you eat of this you'll be like him do you know what that lie is you're not enough come and get something so that you'll become more than you currently are it was the lie of their lack that aroused the sinful nature in all the condition of man that is not experiencing the fullness of what Jesus purchased, it's because at the core of their beliefs, they believe that they are in complete lack, and all the dysfunction of their life is trying to obtain the very thing that will make up for what Jesus has not been able to accomplish for them yet. Does this make sense? Okay. And so we understand that a poverty mentality has nothing to do with finances. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. All of these things are reflections of an internal world. But the whole point of it is this, is that we have a belief that we have to come out of agreement with because it is a, of demonic origin and it is it is bringing a war on, on the abundance and the riches of what Jesus purchased for you and I. You ready? Um I'm gonna say some stuff about how the poverty mentality shows up in our life, none of which have anything to do with finances. And some people are gonna feel seen and exposed. I am sorry. I'm gonna say some things that go like, oh, I believe that, I thought that. I've been there, I've done that. I am not coming at you. I, I am just saying these things are robbing us. You guys ready? The poverty mentality believes in a little God and big devil theology. You go, well, Jamie, I, I don't, I don't believe in a little God. I believe He's the creator of the world. He's such a big God. Well, poverty mentality shows up because one mistake usually requires many prayers in our belief system. We have one mistake, and we require that the process of fixing that mistake is far bigger than the process that was created for the mistake itself. One mistake requires many prayers. One issue requires much more, as if the problem is bigger than, than my ability to overcome it. And so all of a sudden we start operating at a deficit because we go, wow, this one mistake has set me back on this trajectory where now I don't know how I'm ever gonna get back to where I was. And we believe that we have to earn our way back because we have a big devil and little God theology. Is this making sense? Secondly, the poverty mentality is more aware of warfare than it is of provision. All adversity in my life looks like warfare instead of hosting joy in the midst of adversity and seeing the beauty of God. Listen, I I grew up. I mean, this is an example I share all the time, but but um, I'll share a few examples. And 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 if you've ever been a part of this, I'm not. I'm not speaking at you. I'm just saying this is such evidence that the majority of the church is operating in a poverty mentality. Oftentimes, when I take teams to Israel, I will get the warning email it's really hard and really dark and really dangerous over there. Are you sure you're supposed to go? We go to Salem, and I will get the warning Hey, Jamie, I've been up all night praying for you and covering you with the blood because you're in a really dark place ministering to witches and and, and I'm praying for you. And now I appreciate that so much, but do you understand that prayer has been motivated by your worry that Christ in me is not bigger than the witches in Salem? Do you realize that oftentimes we'll like step out of a place, we saw a movie, we watched something, something happened in our lives that we felt like, oh man, I was around some dark stuff the moment adversity comes in, we immediately are like gripping the table going, I need to to like pray these prayers and plead the blood and repent for this and get out of this and do that because we really believe that we can catch demons like we can cooties. I got around it and I have it. We, We really are operating this idea that like greater is he that is in the world than he that is in me. I can't tell you how many times growing up in spirit-filled movements and to this very day I go to churches and this kind of stuff happens. I've been guest speakers at church and and I've had pastors literally lean over to me and go, hey, we usually have a lot better services. I think there's a witch in the back of the church messing with stuff. I would have these moments where like the, 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 the speakers, you know, at church would be like wonky and poor sound person is like trying to figure it out because... Ben, can you agree that sound doesn't always make sense? AV doesn't always make sense. But all of a sudden, someone comes to me like, you know, today was really hard. "Yeah, Yeah, I think that made it pretty difficult. And they go, there's a woman in the back of the church. She was dressed in all black. I think she was a witch. She was doing prayers. Messed up the whole service. Oh, no. I even saw her, like, do this. It's your eye. I think it was actually she was sending symbols. Listen, guys, if one church can step into a room full of believers and mess up everything that they're doing so they can't connect with God, we have a massive issue. Do you guys hear what I'm saying? Like, what? One lady dressed in black can ruin a whole church service? Truly, greater is he that is in the world than he that is in the church. Are you hearing what I'm saying? That's a deficit mentality that actually believes That my adversity is always demonic. The reality is much of the church has no idea the beauty of adding adversity into your life. The beauty of what God is creating in you. How many of you guys say, when when I say, hey, God will part waters for you. He will bring manna into your life every day. And he will lead you by cloud by day and a fire by night. How many of you guys go, I want that? truly. Do you truly go like, yeah? I would really like to see God show up that way. Now, if I said, "Hey, God's going to lead you into a desert," what would you say? I break that off in Jesus' name. It's a demonic prophetic word. That was the same thing. Why? Because we want the miracles, but we don't want the adversity because the adversity is usually a sign that I am messing up, I'm making mistakes, I'm not worthy, God's not favoring my life, something is going on, I have a legal right of a demonic blah, 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 and all of a sudden, we're looking at all adversity in our life through the lens of it must be warfare because greater is he that is in the world than he that is in me. Instead of saying, God, thank you for like showing up in the midst of real life, in real journeys, in real things, in raising kids, and hardships of marriage. All of it is not demonic. It is you have been providing for me all of this way. There's beauty in the desert. There's encounters in the desert. We want all the power, but we don't want the adversity. Adversity is beautiful. Why don't we have any theology of the joy in the midst of the desert? Are you guys hearing me? Poverty mentality is always searching for the warfare instead of searching for the provision. Poverty feels more vulnerable than it does powerful. I said this to the first, I'll say it again. This is the most state of Maine conservative Republican analogy I've ever made. But you're like, what is he about to say? Um, Poverty feels more vulnerable than powerful. Poverty looks to lock doors instead of loads guns. What does that mean? It means that I'm actually trying to avoid difficulty instead of recognizing what's in my hand is more powerful than what's on the other side of that thing. Do you guys get what I'm saying? It is trying to avoid because I am so vulnerable that I, I can't even recognize the power that I'm carrying in my life. Poverty holds hands with fear, worry, and it resists generosity. Poverty is not generous, um, even with our faith and with our lives and our love, because poverty believes more in my lack than in his abundance. I don't have anything to offer. And and the reason why it's so resistant to generosity, because poverty is, is more scared of people's mistakes than in in what God can accomplish. Poverty is scared that people's mistakes can steal what God has accomplished. I don't want people, I'm doing good. I don't want anyone to come in and mess it up. Why? Because I'm vulnerable. I'm not influential. What if believers started walking around and they start seeing the condition of their city and things going on, and what if believers started recognizing, I have more power in my pinky than all the antichrists of hell. This isn't their city, this is my city. This isn't his family, it's my family. This isn't his, uh, you know, this isn't his marriage, it's my marriage. It's not his kids, it's my kids. And what if we started operating with the understanding of who's truly in, that we are in, instead of agreeing with the lie of our lack and building a theology and a belief concerning God that relates to us and causes us to live this dysfunctional life where we're not actually fully apprehending what God has purchased for us. Are you all right? Go back to me with Colossians chapter two. In Colossians chapter two, <clears throat> Jesus confronts those that want to cheat the church of Colossus through empty philosophies based on the history and the traditions of man. Now, mind you, this is, this is clearly like this tension point. Jews are getting saved. They're coming into the kingdom. And the Jews... Jesus came to change the covenant from fear and law into liberty and grace. And so Jesus comes and he fulfills and quenches the requirements of the law and delivers mankind into the grace, uh, the approachable uh, mercy of God to come into relationship with the Father and to know the Father and to see him rightly and to partner with the Lordship of Jesus Christ to extend the gospel throughout the earth. And so... Jesus delivers a church there, but you have a whole group of people that have always approached God in a very specific way, and they're coming in. They're saying, "How do we not continue to do the traditions that we've learned our whole life and actually learn how to actually how to walk in our liberty?" Does this make sense? And so Jesus, or so uh, Paul, is confronting them, and, and he says, he says to them, um, "Let no one cheat you through empty philosophies that are based on the histories and the traditions of man." And he's confronting that. Um the, the, we don't need the feast anymore. The feasts were were a shadow of what's to come. He goes on and, and he he says over in, in verse um, 16, "So let no one judge you in food or drink regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbath, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. And Now mindy, going back to the mass singer example or I'll even give another example, and I've done this before here, but um, we have lights there. We have an object here, and we have a shadow there and here. And now if I blindfolded you and I stacked up a bunch of different things on this table, um, you, could, you could look at a shadow and I could have you guess what that very thing is. But the reality is is without the dimensions and without the visibility of it. I mean, there's no, you're probably not going to be able to guess what that thing is. And he goes, "That's what the feasts were. That's what the law was. It was a shadow, and you're looking at it, and you're going, I, don't, I, know that it's, I know that something is casting a light on something of substance, but I don't know what it is. I can't see it clearly. It, it is, has no dimension. It, 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 it looks good, and I want it, but I, I, I can't interact with it. I can't touch it. I can't taste it. I can't feel it. I can't experience it, but I know that one day I'll see what it is clearly, and I'll get to enjoy it, and he goes, this is the Old Testament It was a shadow of things that are to come. The Father was casting a light on Jesus. And in the Old Testament, they saw the shadow. But he goes, but we are no longer looking at a shadow. For Jesus is the substance. And the Father has unveiled him to our eyes. He's now a substance. He's now an experience. He is now fully revealed to our eyes. And he goes, so stop paying mind to the traditions of man. Man. Trying to make up for your lack and what you don't know about the Lord, and, and about trying to figure out, um, you know, a lot of people are just are in an ever like like consistent process of uh, of doing um, uh, what do you call it? Uh, determining the relationship? What is that, DTR? Define the relationship. How am I doing now, God? Am I in favor, and am I not? How, how am I doing now, God? Did I pray enough? Did I do enough? Did I do this enough or that enough? How how where am I in my favor with you? That's when we played with shadows, but now we know who He is, and we know that no matter what I do, because I'm in Him, I am complete in Him, and I, and I know that that I have uh, that I, he, His mercy triumphs over judgment, and I don't have any control over the directions of His affections for me. I never had the ability to earn it and I don't have the ability to take it away from him. I don't have any ability to turn him from mercy to judgment. This is not because of what I've done, it's because of who he is. And because of that, how many of us know that God is not a man? He cannot be persuaded. You cannot count a list of what you've done long enough to change how he sees you. The outcomes of things in life and the adversities are not because you've missed it. And he goes, stop playing with shadows. We, we get the substance. And then he says this. <clears throat> he says, I wanna read it. Therefore, if you die with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why is though living in the world do you subject yourselves to his regulations, do not touch, do not taste, do not handle. He says, He says, Let no one cheat you of your reward. What's the reward? It's the inheritance that Jesus purchased with his own blood. What is the inheritance? It is eternal life. It is also the forgiveness of sins. It is also the shattering of shame. It is also peace and joy through all seasons and circumstances. It's also the invitation to partner with him for the advancement of the gospel in the earth and for your life to have a demonstrative power that would resonate through your life through the person of the Holy Spirit. All of these are the rewards of knowing Jesus and inviting him into your life, that your identity would be shaped in him. Let no one cheat you of your reward with empty philosophies. And he goes, you are complete in him. You lack nothing. Sin has been cut away. You once were dead. Now you're alive. Jesus has disarmed principalities and powers. All the accusations against you have been removed that were warring against your life. At one point of your life, your faithfulness was governed by shame. Your morality was motivated by fear. Your need was motivated by poverty. But Paul says, stop identifying with lack, with your sin, with your brokenness, with your sadness, with your depression, your suffering, and your emptiness. All of these may be real human experiences, but they do not get to define who you are. But who you are in him gets to define how you respond when those moments become so real in your life. And if you don't know who you are in him, then the lie of lack will determine your response through all of these seasons and situations. We have to stop associating with defeat and start associating with victory. We have to stop associating with sin, start associating with righteousness. Stop associating with death, start associating with life. The reality is, is that you are not vulnerable. You are powerful. You you are not one bad decision away from falling out of favor with God. You are his favorite. And and, and the reality is, is if you don't know who you are in the Lord, you won't approach him correctly when you need him. Because you will start start seeing everything going on in your life through the area of your lack. It's like having a father load up a credit card, give it to you with a pin and say, whatever you need, it's all yours, a bottomless account. And if you believe that you are not in favor with your father, you will not withdraw that account because you believe that he is going to come down on you and question you and shame you for your need, that you weren't able to provide for yourself and that you had to rely on him because you have a dysfunctional relationship with your father and you're waiting for him, to waiting to fall out of favor because you make a mistake with his bank card. And it's like Christians are walking around with the bank card of heaven and all of the riches of what Jesus purchased for life in God and everyone's walking around and they're not... Making any transactions because they don't know who their father is, and they don't believe that it, no matter the way that they steward that liberty in their life, will it cause them to fall out of his favor? And they just want to earn his favor. Are, are you hearing me? Yeah. But when we know who he is, we find ourselves in him. Then we begin to live from the abundance of what he has provided for us. We begin to recognize who is existing and dwelling in me, what I've been invited to partner with, that I am an overcomer. Do you currently right now, are you approaching the areas where you feel overwhelmed and are you putting down your foot saying, this is illegal, I'm an overcomer. I'm more than an overcomer because of the one who's overcome for me. Are you actually standing in a situation where you're overwhelmed by this, that, and the other and going, I am a highly favored son. You know, somebody asked me an amazing question. and I want to answer it because somebody goes, well, but isn't there stuff we have to do to get breakthrough? And, and, she, and, and she, she used the, the example. She said, what about when Jesus said some of these things only come out by prayer and fasting? I said, ah, we don't understand fasting because we don't understand God. Because what we think fasting is is about the denial of our flesh in order to turn the mind of God. Fasting is not the denial of the flesh to turn the mind of God. Fasting is the denial of my flesh in order to, and to align my mind to God's mind. Fasting is not for him, it's for me. Does this make sense? And so when I enter into a place of fasting and prayer, I am bringing myself into alignment. It's not about what I'm rejecting, it's about what I'm approving. You can't, you, if you wanna lose weight fast, that's fine. But if you want to connect to the heart of the Lord, it's not about not having a meal. It's about giving your meal to the Lord to sit with him until you have his mind. And so these things are, this is not about changing the mind of God. This is not about changing his heart. This is not about responding to our failure and our lack. This is about us fully accepting the fact that we are complete in him and the reward is the full riches of Jesus Christ that Jesus has made available and we get access and there's nothing we have to do in order to earn that place with the Lord. And anything going on in your life that does not equate to that is illegal and you have the power to step in and bring change. We are so much more concerned about sin, but the reality is, where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. Why are we so identifying with sin instead of identifying with His grace? We, there, there's real demons and there's real demonic realm, but we're more concerned with their ability to impact us than we are about our power over them. Why? Because we still don't know who we are, because we don't know who He is. Is this making sense for everybody? <clears throat> um, I, I want to encourage us uh, as as we end. I I want to I want to encourage us this morning. I believe this is a significant, um, a really significant, like revelation for us to begin to grasp. Because because the reality is is that, is that uh, God wants to expose the lies that have been s- sown into the foundations of our belief concerning the Lord. There have been men that have been liars. They have wrongly portrayed the gospel of Jesus Christ. They have wrongly responded to the sin of your life. They have wrongly responded to the nature of the world around us. And we've become indoctrinated with lies instead of indoctrinated with truth. And the scriptures are clear. You are complete. You are not dead. You are alive because he came out of the grave. You are not sinful. You are more clean than you know because his mercy triumphs over judgment. He has separated your sin from you as far as the east is from the west. They will never meet again. His mercies are new every morning. You are highly favored before the Lord. There are men who have come and they have taught the traditions of, the, of man. They said, do not taste, do not touch, do not handle. As if that mentality will get you to some level of holiness. What you avoid will never make you holy. What you do will. Everyone says, run away. I say, load your gun. Everyone says, don't sin. I say, lean into Jesus. Everyone wants to run from their problems. And I say, run at them with the power and the authority that you've been given. You are not vulnerable. You are powerful and significant. You are the game changer. If somebody in this room is concerning you, worship the Lord and get your eyes on him. Let the power of the Holy Spirit become the Lordship over every person that walks in this room. Are Are you hearing me? We have to begin to identify lies because much of Christianity has been built on the traditions of man instead of the accomplishments of Christ. I know that we hate the idea of like a prosperity gospel, but you cannot take prosperity out of the gospel. The problem is it has nothing to do with money and has everything to do with the prosperity of your soul because of the riches of Jesus Christ that he has purchased for you. You are blood-stained and you can't change it. You are his beloved, and you can't convince him otherwise. Are we all right? Let it embolden us to walk through seasons. I can walk through hell, but I will not be overcome because there's more in me than all hell. I can go through hardship, and I know that I am not incomplete. I have access to the wisdom of the Holy Spirit because he resides in me, and he's made way from my mind to become indoctrinated with truth through all things. Why don't you guys stand with me? I'll just keep rambling and <laughs>